four brothers ride into battle. Man, we're nerds. Gluten-free gladiator Andrew. Caroline. Todd the Brain Willard. What you doing? Dave the Family Man Shook. Crash and Burn. Preston Paulsine. Apollo piloting the Light Mech Commando. Atomic Power. Feel like we've grown as a podcast? It's a science experiment. So bad, it's good. I thought you were ranting and I zoned out. My bad. The most professional podcast on the internet. Keep doing whatever makes you a discerning geek. The Discerning Geeks Portal. Welcome back, discerning listeners. To another exciting episode of the Discerning Geeks Portal, where we sometimes have to travel back in time and edit our podcast so we can make the big paycheck. <laughs> um, which is really funny for all of us here on the podcast who you know know that we'll never see a dime out of this. But no, no. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're doing this for the love of the game. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's just we're, for fun. We're, we're hopeful, you know, eventually someday we'll get on YouTube and get that YouTube money. Ooh. But, you know, for now, this is fun. So we're back for another episode this week. Um, my name is, of course, David, and I am joined with my best friends, Todd and Preston. Gentlemen, how are you guys doing this week? Good, good. You have an envelope here with 20 clues in it, but it's just a bunch of pocket lint. What does that even mean? Oh. <laughs> I woke up surrounded by a copy of Mad Magazine, empty soda bottles, and hand lotion. Oh, I don't no. know what it means, but I think Aaron Eckhart's going to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> After he walks up to you in slow motion. <laughs> And it's funny you mentioned the whole uh, out of time and out of order type stuff. Uh, just to let people know a little bit of housekeeping, um, because of my bad audio track on one of our episodes, this episode and two we've technically recorded before this might be a little bit out of order. So I, I don't know if we make any references in one of our episodes. It's the Alpha Movie Vet episode. I don't know if we make any references to that as to when that's recorded, but you might actually hear that episode after this one and maybe one or two others, despite the fact that it was recorded earlier. I, I, might, I might have to take a little bit longer to clean up the audio on that. One, so, Rich Strike wins the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> Ooh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> now uh, you don't know what year it is, do you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> We're ready for another episode. Uh, just another little bit more housekeeping. Andrew couldn't be with us this evening. Sadly, uh, I think the poor boy actually has a job. So, you know, we'll be thinking about him as, as we goof off. And it may be just a few weeks before he gets to join us. But he will be back. And we will try to, to plan a couple episodes where he can he can still be with us. But, yeah, congratulations, Andrew, on maybe actually getting a paycheck. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of paychecks, Todd, if they haven't guessed already, tell them what we're reviewing tonight. Yes, oddly enough, the movie we're reviewing tonight is called Paycheck. Michael Jennings periodically has portions of his memory erased to forget technology projects he is hired to reverse engineer for large sums of money. After his latest stint, Jennings realizes he left his mind wipe self 20 clues that point to something disastrous that his most recent technology could bring about. 
Jennings must solve the mystery he's left for himself and stop a catastrophe before it happens. A much greater purpose than just collecting a paycheck. Paycheck is starring Ben Affleck as Michael Jennings, a reverse engineer. Uma Thurman as Rachel Porter, a biologist. Aaron Eckhart as James Rethrick, a billionaire CEO and someone who has the power to walk in slow motion for half the movie. Colin Fiore as John Wolfe, Rethrick's right-hand man. Paul Giamatti as Shorty, Jennings' friend who needs a better nickname. Michael C. Hall as Agent Klein. And Joe Morton as Agent Dodge. Okay, and just to go over that cast cast list a little bit, uh, Joe Morton may be known to geeks as Henry Deacon on the sci-fi show Eureka. Michael C. Hall was born in our state capital of Raleigh and is probably best known for this title role in the TV show Dexter. Paul Giamatti has been in too many things to list, but was regrettably the rhino in Amazing Spider-Man 2. <laughs> Colin Fiore was Lao Fei in Thor. Aaron Eckhart is known for being Harvey Dent in The Dark Knight. Uh, he was also in Battle Los Angeles, which we reviewed in episode 86 of this podcast. Uma Thurman is famous for playing the bride in the Kill Bill duology, which I think Preston is a fan of. Uh, yes. But I prefer her work in the romantic superhero comedy, My Super Ex-Girlfriend. Uh, and Ben Affleck is famous, of course, for being best friends with Matt Damon. I know I've made that joke before, but it's a fun joke to make. It is absolutely <laughs> true. And you see in this movie why Ben needs Matt. <laughs> mm-hmm. We'll get there. We'll get there. I won't launch into that tirade here right now. <laughs> Paycheck was released in 2003 on December 25th. So Merry Christmas. Here's a lump of coal. <laughs> <laughs> Paycheck has a rating of PG-13. It was written by Dean Georgeris or Georgeris or something like that. But it was based on a short story by Philip K. Dick. It was directed by a fourth-year film student. Oh, no, wait, hang on, let me check my notes. It was actually directed by John Woo. Ouch. And where can you find this movie if you're inexplicably inclined to look for it? <gasps> it's on Amazon Prime, Paramount+, Plus, MGM+, Plus, and Fubo. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so this is, is this the third Philip K. Dick movie that we've reviewed, or is this the fourth? I'm trying oh, to... I don't know. One of them was The Adjustment Bureau. Yep, and Blade Runner. Oh, was that one too? Okay. Yep. Um, I don't think we've done Minority Report, but that was another big no. one that he uh, that he did. Um, Scanners was based on Philip K. Dick. We haven't done that one yet. So there's quite a few, quite a, quite a few out there. Of course, he actually influenced movies all the way through Terminator, The Matrix, The Man in the Hive Castle. All of those are from his influence. So I would encourage you definitely go back and listen to our review of the Adjustment Bureau. And I think we even released a special, sadly, about 30-minute aside that I kind of got on talking about mm -hmm. Philip K. Dick yeah. Yeah. Um, in one of our previous episodes. So if you're a Philip K. Dick fan, definitely go back and, and listen to those. The Geeks reviewed the Adjustment Bureau in Episode 23 and Blade Runner in Episode 62. Episode 31 is the short discussion on works written by and inspired by Philip K. Dick, which was a continuation of episode 23. But tonight, our focus is on paycheck, and I got some tones here, so 
I, I'm I'm really curious because you know I'm almost positive this had to be one of my choices because I actually mm-hmm. love this movie. I, it's one of my favorites. I can watch it a hundred times. But Todd, you seemed a little skeptical. What what what's your first impression of of Paycheck? Okay, I know I got in a few jabs right away, but it's not terrible, but it ain't good either. It's got a lot of issues. Um, <laughs> I think this is a movie where it's number one strength. And in fact, I'll go ahead and cheat a little bit and give the one item that I have in my good stuff category. And that is that it does have an intriguing concept. I just think it's not executed well. And I'll go into more detail later, but I think this is... Yeah, this is a, a movie that's better in concept than what actually came out. And to back up my negative opinions, I've actually got a little bit of trivia from Wikipedia and IMDb about people that were involved in the movie who weren't totally pleased with the uh, with the outcome. Okay. Preston, how about you? This is a midlife crisis movie for someone that is 25 years old. Um, <laughs> th- this was made around about the time when Hollywood was really cranking out the, hey, we want to make a new James Bond, but we don't have the James Bond license. So let's like put, you know, Vin Diesel is like triple X or we'll give ice cube a movie. See if that takes. And yeah, th- this is one of those, you know, we really want to make a spy movie, but everyone associated spy movies with James Bond. We don't have the James Bond license. What can we do? Well, can we pay a bunch of high name actors to appear in a in a intriguing mystery box movie, yeah, we can do that. All right, and thus the movie. I, now I've said all this as it, as to say this isn't that bad for a quarter life crisis movie, but there there are just some choices that they made here that I I don't understand. Okay, like like Uma Thurman slips in and out of an accent that I don't understand. You know, then there's weird choices with CGI trains. And, uh, of course, Ben Affleck has to be the coolest dude in the universe at all times. <laughs> yeah, that's my initial opinion. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, Dave, I'm sorry. I'm afraid you're going to be on an island in, on this I, one. I might. I might. And, and I'm, I'm just sitting here. And it's to me, it's so interesting because, like I said, we've done the Adjustment Bureau. And the Adjustment Bureau, Bureau actually starred, of course, <laughs> Matt Damon. <laughs> so we had the Matt Damon, Philip K. Dick, you know, movie remake or, or kind of, and then now we have the Ben Affleck and, and I am actually pretty much right there with you. I'd much rather, I, I, I would say that Ben Affleck does his best when he's actually with Matt Damon. And a lot of times when he's not with him, he it's, it's very questionable. Yeah. I want to get into this cause I kind of want to see what 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 the, what the problem is. I I just love this movie. I I love everything about it. I don't I don't know. I thought it was weird because Preston kind of talked to like a spy movie, but I was like, I never got spy movie vibes out of the movie. It's just pure like sci fi adventure, and this person having to figure out what's going on um, and and uncover himself, uh, which I always love. Uh, I think it's a, a, a very fun concept uh, to to look at, but uh, so yeah, I don't know. Somebody throw something out there. What what was what, what's one of the the beefs we have with with paycheck? One of the things that I'm not a fan of when it comes to these kinds of movies is 
the the absolute coincidence, you know. But oh no, he actually timed it like the train. Okay, I'm. I'm there's a whole action set piece in this movie where Matt Damon, or excuse me, Ben Affleck, is running down the 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 tunnel of this train. Right, he I think he has like a slip of paper or something that tells him walk forty five steps and turn left, and you know, and it's time. Like his watch is set to go off at a certain interval because that's when the train's going to come, and so he can get into this little alcove sort of thing, but you can't see it. The audience can't see it. And it's just a matter of, Oh, he planned this, you know, before he went into the machine. I'm not a fan of, of those kind of things because it, it feels like a cheap reveal. Like if, if you're gonna, like if you're going to do the whole, Hey, you, you've set something up and it looks like a coincidence, but it actually isn't. I like it to be a little smaller. You know, you know, like a, there's a scene in Kill Bill where Uma Thurman is, is fighting Gogo, and Gogo has a ball and chain. Uma Thurman sees walking into the bar this uh, wooden piece that is that is perfectly, you know, eye height. And so when Gogo throws the ball and chain into the wood. She stabs the sword up to stop the chain, but impale the the spike ball into the wood so that when Gogo pulls it out, the spike ball will impale into her own head. That's the kind of thing I like. I feel like the whole count 45 steps, then make a, a left turn right when the watch cuts off or uh, beeps so that you don't get hit by the the subway, but everyone else does. Like that, that, I don't know. That's just me. Okay, okay. It was a CGI train too, which was weird. <laughs> okay, interesting. Okay, so Todd, you said you kind of like the concept. So you like this this concept of being able to kind of by seeing the past or seeing into the future, kind of leave yourself clues. But you what? But you had beefs with more kind of the the acting and the directing and things like that. Is that my understanding? Basic, like I said, nothing about this movie is terrible, but every single aspect of it is also very flawed, including the concept. So going a little bit off uh, what Preston was saying, maybe we need to explain the concept uh, just a little bit better than what I did in the summary. So Ben Affleck's character plays somebody who is a reverse engineer. And what he does is... He is hired to do some kind of job where he takes a technology, he takes it apart to reverse engineer something that is like it, but even better. So like at the beginning of the movie, he uh, is hired for, I think, a two month stint of taking some kind of like 3D monitor and making a 3D hologram type technology. So then he's hired for this three year job where he is going to be doing this for three years. But what happens is afterwards, in order for the company to kind of protect any, uh, I guess, accusation of somebody stealing the technology, they mind wipe him. And so when he goes in, he kind of gives over some possessions, almost like somebody going into prison. And then when he gets out, he's given those possessions back. And when he gets out of that three-year stint and he doesn't have any memory of that three years, the stuff that he gets 
back is not the same stuff that he put in. It's an envelope of 20 different items or, or technically 19 items. And then there's an aspect of the envelope itself that is a 20th item. And it's stuff that he doesn't recognize. Also, he's supposed to get this huge paycheck, but he doesn't get the huge paycheck afterwards. And that is supposed to be a sign to himself that something that happened during that three years was so important that it was more important than him getting paid. And so he starts to pay attention to why those 19 items in the envelope are different than what he put in at the beginning of the, the three years. So each one of those items is a clue, is either a clue or some kind of helping item to help him figure out the mystery. And that is the aspect that is interesting. But, you know, I'm kind of nitpicky. And if you actually nitpick over how each one of these items works to help him solve this mystery, some of them don't totally add up. And like Preston said, it kind of depends way too much on a lot of coincidence and pre-planning. Now, there is an aspect of this three years where part of the technology he creates is supposed to help him see the future. And so I guess by him seeing the future, he's able to know what clues to leave himself. But even that doesn't totally make sense. And I'll just give one example before I stop rambling and let somebody else take a turn. It's at this point that Todd started rambling and didn't explain his concern very well. The example he gave is that Ben Affleck's character Jennings leaves himself a key for a private door at a train station. Before being mind-wiped, he knew he'd need the key for a quick escape at some point because he had seen into the future. But how can you see a future in which you have the key unless you eventually get the key? Which means having the key already, only because you saw a future, in which you will have the key, would seem to be a paradox. Crap, I didn't explain it any better. This is why movie and TV characters always get a headache when talking about time travel. I'm getting one now, too. It, it doesn't make sense. And, and then like Preston was saying, certain things depend so much on perfect timing. It's like, how would he really know he would need this bus ticket or this key or this thing at this exact moment, unless he could see in the future, which he can, I guess, but then we're also not shown that. I, I don't know. Again, I'm not explaining it very well, but I just think that well, there so are again, flaws in the logic of this story. So, yeah, I guess I kind of want to clarify because the, and this is spoiler, but I mean, Hey, we, we do spoilers. So just, if you don't want to hear this, you're in the wrong podcast, but the device that he's making is a device that sees into the future. So, yes, the, the items that he leaves himself are the items that he's been able to see into the future are going to be the exact things that he need at the time that he needs them. And they are, it does kind of feel coincidental, but I guess I kind of look at it this way. You get a vision. Uh, it doesn't matter how. In this scenario, he actually has a lens that can see across the curvature of space and, and that mm. comes back. And, and I don't know the science behind any of that, but mm. I mean, the reality mm. is, hey, you know, whatever. Just in case you missed the disapproving groans from Todd and Preston about a lens allowing you to see around the curvature of the universe. Mm. Mm. It's science fiction. That's kind of where it all comes from. Uh, I haven't seen anybody tell me that you can't do that. So I'm okay with it. So he, he sees the future. So, you know, but it doesn't have to be that, you know, let's take it into fantasy. Maybe you have a dream. You, you know, for certain that if you leave your house at 
605 in the tomorrow morning, you're going to have a terrible car crash and and die. But maybe when you wake up, you know, you're not going to remember the dream. So, but you can do something like tamper with your alarm clock to where it doesn't go off. And then, oh, now I've, I've overslept, but hey, I've saved my own life because I didn't wake up at that time. Would that be something that you would do? And I think that's kind of the, to me, the, the whole point of the movie is, you know, these are the things that have to be done to, to get you to the, to the end. Uh, and, I, and I'm with you. I, I, it's a far stretch, right? A lot of science fiction is. I mean, my favorite science fiction TV show is Fringe. But the fact that somebody can, ooh, I just kind of put some power on a mirror and now I can look into parallel universes. Okay, not real logical. Probably not going to happen. But hey, take something very simple. Oh, I'm going to go into warp drive in Star Trek. Okay, well, we're not going to explain warp drive. We're just going to be like, oh, see, it's it works. So I think there's a level of you kind of have to just shut off the does the science work and go with what's the plot of the movie. And to me, the plot is and, it, and they even say it very bluntly in the movie. What is something that you would give up two million dollars for? And can you work backwards, which this guy is very good at? you know, working backwards to solve problems. And I think there's a, a, a gift to doing that. I don't think everybody can, but yeah, I mean, that's just me. I mean, I, I definitely see the, the, the points. It's easy kind of with the train. It's like, oh, well, he puts the, I think he puts a quarter in the breaker that, that sh- no, he uses a, a paper clip to short out the train, whatever, but it doesn't short out right away. So he's having to run and, and it stops just inches away. Well, if you see the future and you know that that's all that's needed, you don't have to worry about anything else. You're just doing what's needed to get you to the next point. Well, I think he le- like one of the items is a bus ticket or something like that. So he, if yeah. I'm right, then he leaves himself a bus ticket to tell himself, hey, I need to take the bus at this certain time. And it's because he saw something in the future of him taking a bus at a certain time. No, no. But no. Well, he, so he needed the bus ticket to get away from the, the FBI who were going to like capture and kill him. And so okay. he, he ends up at the bus station. He looks in the envelope and, hey, I have a pass to get on a bus. This is my way out. And, but it's a very specific ticket that he needs to do to get him in the place that he needs to be. Just like the diamond ring. It seems kind of odd that there's like a diamond ring. But the kid s- steals the diamond ring to influence him to get off the bus at a certain time. So and then... The, yeah. So, sorry. So then was there a future that he saw in which he did not get on the bus and they caught him and he's like, okay, I need to avoid that future. So I'll, I'll go and get a bus ticket. I'll pay it way ahead of time and I'll get this bus ticket and leave it for myself so that I'll know I can, if I take the bus, I will avoid that future. Or was he already seeing a future in which he took the bus ticket? Because if so, then that's what I think is the paradox. Because if he's seeing a future in which he already has the bus ticket, then there's no reason to leave himself a bus ticket. He's already going to get it in the future some other way. It, it's it's like he would need to see different futures and how those futures would go wrong and that he's preventing those. But the thing is, I think that the movie doesn't do a good enough job explaining 
his seeing into the future. It's almost like that's something that's introduced later and is very vague. And so I don't get a great sense of how that look ahead into the future actually works and whether he's preventing bad futures or fulfilling the good one. And if he's fulfilling the good one, then why does he have to leave himself things that he would have in the future already anyway? And and if he only has them in the future because he left them for himself, then how could he leave them for himself Unless he saw the, I, it's just, I don't know. Something doesn't I guess matter. I, I will throw out the, you know, let's, let's just go to the MCU. You know, Dr. Strange does his, his spin the time stone thing. And I've just seen 30 million futures or whatever. And we only went in one, but the reality is the MCU ends and we don't actually know if they pick that one. We don't know. They could have, I mean, you know, how does he see the future? Do we know what that future looks like? Do we, you know, what did the other, what happened in all the others? We don't know. During the climactic battle of Avengers Endgame, Doctor Strange looks at Tony Stark with all seriousness and holds up one finger. That moment implies that the one and only victorious future out of over 14 million possible futures depended on whatever Tony would do next in that moment. So, we probably did get our answer. And that's okay. That's that's part of any time you have like time travel and and seeing the future or being in the future or interacting with the future or the past or things like that. There's no way to have that story without there being a paradox. No way. I mean, there's never been a movie, a TV show or anything that somebody couldn't stop and say, Oh, well, what's the paradox? Look at this. And, and so it's part of kind of the nature of, of having a story with time travel or you know, any of that in it. Now, I guess it just kind of depends on how that affects you for me, right? Because you guys know this. I I really could not stand how that ended on the MCU with, oh, what was it? Uh, Shoot. Infinity War? (laughs) Infinity War. Yeah. Yeah, I left Infinity War and I was like, this sucks. Why? Because the only way they're going to fix it is to do time travel. And that's stupid. And I don't want to see time travel because you're going to end up with a paradox. and, And I didn't like it. But it's interesting because I can watch this movie and I don't see the paradox. I'm like, he's just going off the information that he has. Now, it's information we don't have. We don't get to see, you know, because then it wouldn't be very much of a fun movie if we're sitting there going, oh, look, we saw him survive all these things with these things. There's there's no um, suspense, right? So we have to have the, the building suspense of... How in the world is this going to work? Why does he have this? Why does he have that? Uh, what's it going to come into play with? Uh, but that's just me. I mean, obviously, you know, we all, that's why we're discerning geeks because we, we take these things differently. Um, I know, I think uh, Infinity War was like one of your favorites. Yeah. And, and so that time stuff in that didn't mess up the story for you whoa now infinity war didn't have the time travel stuff yet that was it, in, i mean but it game. set it up but it set it up i mean that, that's the only reason that i mean because there was no way that they were going to resolve the, the the movie without it you knew that it had to be there i mean you left that and you, you kind of already knew that hey wow they just blipped spider-man out of existence but i know the new spider-man movie's coming out in about three months okay <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, I know that there's something going on here that's going to undo that. 
the only way they could really do it is to go back in time and say, oh, look, we fixed it. Um, so here's a little bit of inside the actor's mind. <laughs> so if you know, if you don't know anything about Ben Affleck, which I, I, I don't know why you would, but he's a huge Batman fan. And the more that I'm sitting here thinking about it and the more that I, I recall the, hey, he's a huge Batman guy. This is literally trying to pull off one of the old uh, Batman comics where Batman loses uh, his memory and his fortune and has to be like a weird homeless guy in, in, a, in a scavenged suit. You know, and he, he has to piece back together that he's Batman with no memory and no fortune. Right. Yeah. And, and not saying that this movie lifts anything from that, but I can clearly see what he or the reason why Ben took this movie. Money, money, money. A paycheck. So do we think that this movie could have accomplished a similar goal with less coincidence or is this is this a rube goldberg of a movie a rube goldberg device of a movie where you know it's like mousetrap the guy has to backflip into the tub in order for the ball to drop and trap the mouse the the whole point is it's not coincidence like none of the things that happened were just oh it happened by coincidence it all happened because he had left the breadcrumbs that he had to follow to unlock and do the next thing. So, you know, now how he got that knowledge and how that transpired, we're never, we're never told. Um, we could, we know that he has this device that sees the future. We know that that future, you know, we actually know from the interactions that that future can be changed by the actions of the people who see the future. There's a whole com conversation between the, the chief bad guy, which I don't even remember his name, but, and, and his Hill henchman. And it's like, Oh, you know, he goes into the FBI office and he dies. And unless you did something because you're the only one that knows anything about the future, then that's what's going to happen. But they didn't realize that he had been using this, and had seen the future and knew that these people were going to be after him and that he was going to have to take these actions to be able to survive and then inevitably save the day. I don't know, Todd, I don't know if it was a choose your own adventure as he's looking through the, the time machine. Uh, it's a video game to me. You know, oh, well, right, if right. I do this, then I die and just get to keep playing and play back and go until you figure out the path. Kind of like I said, kind of like the, um, you know, Doctor Strange, you know, I don't know if he's sitting there and going, I'm flipping through a million different um, futures, or I don't know if he saw that future and said, hey, this is the way it needs to go in order for me to survive. I've got to do these things. And so, yes, I have to send all these items. So, and you had kind of mentioned the keys, and this is just a little, little thing that I thought was actually pretty cool. Did you, did you pick up on the fact that when the the actual janitor goes to open that door, he pulls his keys out and he realizes he doesn't have the right key for the lock? So, how long was the janitor without his key? The woman at Ready Grant and Associates says that he was in four weeks prior to forfeit his shares and request the delivery of his envelope of personal items. 
Did he already have the key four weeks prior, or did he request the envelope before he mailed the envelope? The janitor would have been without his key for at least a couple days but possibly four weeks or more. If the latter, why would the janitor just now be noticing his key missing? And later, when the FBI is interrogating Jennings, why the hell is the chair spinning for two minutes? And why am I getting involved in this review? Well, I mean, there's the montage at the end of him stealing everything. I mean, I mean, it, it is like a blink and you'll miss it kind of thing because it's all around the grand reveal of the time travel device and right um, that that interaction with the older scientist. But th- there is a lot of they do pay it off, like how he got everything. It's not like it's just they don't tell you; they show you, so you can miss it if you like look away. Like I'm saying, it's a Rube Goldberg device. You have to crank the wheel to start the ball rolling, to knock over the dominoes. The, the man backflips into the bathtub. That's the kind of movie we're dealing with. And it, does it work? Yeah, I mean, it's fine. It's just, it, there. there's so many, there's so many false finishes that it throws off, like, you, you get exhausted with it. You know, like he 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 comes within an inch of his life, like twelve to thirteen times within a a twenty minute block of this movie, from the FBI showing up to him ending up in the office with Aaron Eckhart. I think he has something like four or five near death misses that he pulls off, and that can be a little exhausting. Well, see, I, I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's on the edge of the seat. You know, I was, I was on the edge of the, I thought this, this movie, it jumped into the action and it just kept the action going. And I was, I was with it and I was in for the ride and like, okay, this is fun. So that's okay. Let's, let's get into some more other areas. Like what's, what's some, I kind of skipped over the positives, but um, did we have any uh, any other positives or anything that, that for you guys for this movie? I love the interaction with uh, Affleck and the comic relief. I thought that was great. I, I was sad that it was only like one him and Shorty. Yeah, like, <laughs> I, see, I, he's, I my, he's probably great. one of my favorite characters in the movie. Yeah, like, like and that that was a fun interaction. I thought. It's great to see Aaron Eckhart in anything because I'm a fan of his from Thank You for Smoking and The Dark Knight. I feel like he is woefully underutilized in a lot of things. But he's great to see in this because he's having fun. Uma Thurman, I think she's having a lot of fun. Like Nobody looked like they were suffering through this or, you know, there being a block of wood. The movie goes in shifts, right? There's the the initial jump of, hey, the mystery begins and we're off to the races with action, action, action. Then we get like the weird middle part where we have to establish the romance with Uma Thurman. If we could have interspersed that a little more, I feel like that would have been better than just to have her show up in... in the latter two thirds, admittedly, it's not like they don't have enough time, but I would, I would have just liked to see something in that initial action jaunt that says, Hey, Uma is, is, is the, uh, the female protagonist of the movie. And, and the goal is to get to her. 
You know what I mean? Hey, it, right. They do. They do do it, but it's just like the next clue is find Uma Thurman's character. Right. What about you, Todd? You're still wanting positives. Yeah, just for a second. Yeah. Uh, y- yeah, skip me. Oh, jeez. Oh, my damn. Even to a guy like me, that's cold. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, uh, seriously, I, I, the only thing I have written in the, in the good stuff category is that the concept is intriguing. Okay. But I also said that it, it's also flawed. There's everything. I mean, everything else is passable. But I flawed it, it, every aspect. I mean, even right. the the music, and I might talk about that later. But it's just it, it, no. This movie didn't work for me. Okay, what did you guys think of? Because uh, I actually enjoyed Uma Thurman. I know you mentioned her accent kind of coming and going, but what did you guys think of this relationship? I know we've talked about it with a couple of different movies. You know how how understandable or how you know drawn into the relationship because they really build this relationship off of just like two or three scenes before he's having to get his memory wiped and he doesn't remember her at all and has to realize that they have this relationship. Um, but what did you guys think of that relationship as, as it was portrayed? Was it real, realistic? Was it something you didn't really buy into or just didn't care? Ben Affleck is not believable as a romantic lead. I'm, I'm sorry. They use a lot of flashbacks in this right. movie. And it's a lot of wordless flashbacks where it's just like, you're supposed to understand from the look and the touch and you know how they are that they, these are people that love each other. That's fine. That works with, with Ben. He, he, he just comes off like a jock douchebag. And he that's why Goodwill Hunting works so well for him because he's literally the jog douchebag that just didn't take school seriously, and now he's working construction, and he's slowly <laughs> coming to the bitter realization that he wasted his life, wow. and he doesn't want his buddy <laughs> to do the same thing, and that's that's a great you know progression for him because to me it's believable that he went through that in real life. So I can yeah, I can do, see say that he is definitely I think he plays the playboy better than the romance. Like, yeah. Even in the what the Batman, it's more of the he's the guy that just sleeps around and, and does isn't trying to build a and we see a little bit of that even at the very beginning of this. He ends up I think sleeping with the lawyer or whatever for the first company where he makes the little uh, monitor, the the hologram graphic monitor. I don't know. Maybe I felt like maybe Uma uh, carried him a little bit, but uh, but I enjoyed their interaction. Todd, what about you? Anything on the? Yeah, you mentioned that another one of the Philip K. Dick movies was the Adjustment Bureau, which we reviewed earlier in this mm-hmm. podcast. I can't remember the exact episode. Now I love that movie, and one of the strengths of that movie is the chemistry between um, Matt Damon's character and. Oh, I'm blanking her name. Emily Blunt's character. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the best examples of chemistry between two people in a movie. I did not feel any chemistry at all in this movie. Um, I mean, Preston already kind of described it more harshly than I would, but I just didn't buy the chemistry between them. And Dave, you already kind of mentioned that we only get a few scenes that are trying to convince us that they were together. And I didn't feel like that was enough. 
Also, on top of that, when they first meet, he really crashes and burns. He does not do a very good job hitting on her. He's like, they're at a party. He's like, let's get out of here. Like, he just wants to go and bang her. And she's not that impressed. But you can just kind of tell, okay, yeah, when he goes into this whole thing where he's going to lose his memory for three years, of course, they're going to be together. That much is just kind of predictable. But then we're not really, I don't feel very convinced of that later. And another thing that helps me not be convinced of that is that when he does come out of that three-year stint and his memory is erased, the the company knows that he was with somebody, but I'm not sure they're sure who he was with or maybe they, well, no, I think they do know. And what they do is they send a double, somebody who is supposed to look like Rachel and somebody who is supposed to fool him. And he all he acts like he is fooled by it, but that doesn't make sense because he met the real Rachel before his three-year stint. So he would still remember her, even if their relationship was during that three years, he would still remember their introduction before his memory was erased. And so he would know that that was a fake Rachel, and he doesn't seem to to know that it's a fake Rachel, or if he does, then Ben Affleck does not do a convincing job of telling me, oh, I know they're trying to fool me, but I'm not fooled. He seems like he's fooled. So I don't know. It, no, the, the whole relationship and, and that one scene where it looks like he might be fooled and, and it's like, okay, if they he doesn't recognize her, even though he met her before, I, it, no, the whole thing didn't work for me. Okay, okay. Uh, I want to make sure I get give everybody ample time for their negatives. So let's let's kind of knock out the rest of the negatives. I know um, Todd, you mentioned you had some, even the, the music or some different things. Oh, um, I haven't even gotten started. I've only checked off one thing on my entire list. Yeah, <laughs> well, let's get into it because uh, uh, yeah, go for it. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to see what I can say for lightning round. All right, so we've already talked a little bit about the clues. One of the clues that he leaves for himself is something on some kind of microtext. The kind of narrative gymnastics they have to do that lead him to recognize, oh, yeah, this microtext that I can't see with the naked eye, it's on this stamp on this envelope. I, I, I didn't buy that. It's like really somehow along the way this whole time he doesn't lose the envelope and uh, he still got the envelope and then there's something on the envelope that is the clue itself but you can't see it and he's sometime somehow gets the idea oh it's it's microscopic I, that I, I didn't totally buy that one of the clues is some kind of crossword puzzle which is supposed to match up with some kind of schematic of a chip or something like that and i'm thinking okay did he take the time to mock up this crossword puzzle which granted he had three years so he did have time to mock it up but it also makes me wonder all these really super cryptic clues that he left for himself they're in an envelope that he is i think mailing to himself or something like that why doesn't he just send himself a key to a safety deposit box? And that safety deposit box just has a note in there that just says, this is what you got to do to prevent the bad future. And why doesn't he just do something like that instead of all these super cryptic things that if he just gets one or two things wrong, he's totally off track. All right. So I got to um, interrupt. I got to interrupt because I'm curious okay. if you guys actually watch the movie because <laughs> it says in the movie, I had to mail myself these inoculate, uh, you know, something that would not get anybody's attention because he knows the company that he's working for is looking at these things. You know, if he had just sent himself a, a key for a safety deposit box, 
they would have intercepted the key and opened the safety deposit box and got it out and and ruined it. Because- well, maybe that's a bad example, but it, there's. I'm just thinking there's got to be an easier way than than what he did. And yeah, I get your point, but there has to be some kind of happy medium where he sends himself something because the stuff that he does leave for himself is so weird. You think that they would get suspicious by that. It's like, wait, he's leaving all this stuff. He must be sending himself a secret message because there's no way somebody would leave this crap in an envelope, mail it to themselves three years later when they're supposed to be getting this giant paycheck. I, that, that would seem equally as weird. Okay. I'll, I'll give you that. Okay. All right. What else you got? Uh, okay. So you already mentioned one thing, something about a special lens that you can see around the curvature of the universe. All right, I'm not a physicist. Maybe the universe does have a curvature. But if so, is there really a lens that would allow you to see around it? And if so, what does that have to do with time travel? I don't know. That just seemed like... And Dave, I know you make a good point that sometimes, uh, you know, science fiction has to use some kind of pseudoscience. But usually it's also got some kind of visual aid to back it up or some kind of extra explanation that kind of makes it make sense. But that was it. It was just this one line of dialogue about seeing around the curvature of the universe. And that was it. And there was no visual aid, nothing to back it up. And it just it it seemed a little bit too ridiculous on its own. So and and I've got more, but I'll let somebody else take it. Preston, you got anything? Here's what I don't understand. The power draw necessary to, to run this thing, meaning what they had to do to build like the mini nuclear reactors and the giant tanks and all of this stuff is literally the power generation of this station. It, it looks like you could scale it. You could scale it. You could become the controller of energy in the world with this. Why do you need to go through all the trouble of building a machine to look through time? I don't, I got the you. power I got draw you. for this this station alone. You could light New York for a week. I got like, you. Why got not you. just just be like, hey guys, we figured it out. We here's fusion. We we've done fusion, and and here's here's we were we were all on fishing. Here's fusion. We're gonna power the United States for pennies. Yeah. Why, <laughs> why not just do that? I instead think. of. Instead well, of going the Bond villain route and being like, hey, guys, I have a device now that allows me to see through time. And I will now know all the sports outcomes. <laughs> but I think, I guess, I don't know. And I think this is maybe where my mind is is just different. And I've and this is where I got on that tirade. And sadly, yes, listeners, you need to go back and listen to my whole mini episode on Philip K. Dick. The thing that I love about science fiction, love, is that it gives a way to look at possibilities and life and making decisions and and look in and introspectively looking at what we do now through a different lens. It's a way of of, of putting it a little bit differently to, to show it. Does it always make sense in the real science of everything? No, it almost very rarely does. But if you're only looking at the, does the science make sense? Then to me, you miss the whole story of what it's trying to talk about. Um, I don't know if any, I know 
Todd's old enough, but he wasn't a real big fan of the original Star Trek. You know, I'm talking original Star Trek, not yeah. Star Trek Next Generation, original Star Trek. One of the most famous episodes, they have these aliens that are half black on one side, half white on the other. And their mortal enemy is aliens that are the opposite, half white on the same one side and half black on the other, you know. But it was all about race and understanding race relations and looking at the world that we live in and not about does the science make sense? That's kind of dumb. How would evolutionarily, you know, somebody, you know, develop even as a race that they would have half black skin on one side and half white on the other? That's that doesn't make any sense. That misses the whole point of what they're trying to say. I'm very forgiving in a lot of these, you know, Philip K. Dick, you know, Adjustment Bureau. You know, we talked about it and it's a great movie. These angel creatures that can walk through doors and Mm -hmm. teleport around. It makes no sense. And that there's a whole plan that here's a plan that, you know, is mapped out. And, oh, well, you're messing up the plan if you don't go here. Again, makes no sense. There's nothing that makes sense about that. But it's the bigger story that's trying to be told that is what what drags me, right? There, there's little lines that I think are fun, and this was going to be the question I ask, and, and then we'll get back to the regular negatives, because I do want to ask this question. Part of what you know this, this story is about and wanting to talk about is how many of us actually live our lives like this guy and don't even think about it. He talks about his memories being highlights, sailboating in you know Spain or scuba diving off the coast of whatever, and his work life, the mundane stuff that he does day to day and day to day that makes him all the money to be able to enjoy that, he doesn't care if those memories are erased. And so how much of how much do we go through a day and are willing to just throw away that time and not even try to worry about making memories or understanding that it has any value because we're just going through the day. And so I ask you, both of you, do you ever feel like you would be okay just erasing, you know, weeks of your life because you really don't do anything during that and it's, you would rather just have the highlights? What do you think? Preston, Todd, either one? As someone that has had several surgeries in my in my time. You I look at life been, differently. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I, I have been laid up in, in a hospital bed for blocks of my life. And I, I, would, I would consider that, you know, not one of the best times I've ever had as as a person on this earth, but you know, it's, it's not really, it, it did create memories. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if I could erase some of the pain that I experienced during all that, I would, but like me being, you know, 15, 16 years old, trying to get to sleep with, you know, after a surgery where my muscles were placed back in the proper order, and uh, just being in so much pain, I couldn't get to sleep. 
and, and taking the prescribed pain pills and seeing Meet the Feebles has made Meet the Feebles a, a almost a uh, personal anecdote that I, I tell everyone about. Not only that I saw Meet the Feebles, what Meet the Feebles was about, and you know that I thought I hallucinated this movie. So, yeah, the mundanity is something that I feel like most people would would trade for, you know, a, a good paycheck, as the movie implies. But I think people don't really understand how much, how many memories you do make just in the mundanity mm-hmm. of it all. And... Maybe maybe that's something that the movie could have explored. Okay, okay. What about you, Todd? What was the question again? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, just exploring that thought of you know the day to day life and and not even worrying about having those memories and just having the highlights versus really understanding the value of those day-to-day moments. Um, Did you you see, I guess my first question is, did you see any of that or did you understand any of that in this movie? And then just how do you feel about that in general as a, as a person? Well, I mean, yeah, it would be nice to kind of, I guess, get over the, well, but see, it doesn't really help because you might be forgetting the mundane stuff the way this movie does it, but you still got to live through it the first time around. So it's not like it's time travel where you get to redo stuff. You're still doing it, but then just forgetting it. And so, yeah, I see what you mean by like remembering the highlights. The thing is by erasing his memory, he's actually forgetting some of, some of those highlights because he apparently had this relationship with a woman, but it, that's the thing that he's forgetting. So I don't feel like this movie does a good job of exploring that, that whole concept. I'm not even sure I'm answering your question very well, but I just, I didn't, I didn't get that much deep out of this movie. And I'm glad that you did. If this is one of your favorites, that that's fine. I'm, I'm not trying to convince you to, to, to feel otherwise. It's just that one of the things that I've noticed in a lot of our reviews is sometimes one or one or two of us will get something deeper, meaningful out of a movie. And then the other one or two of us will oh, yeah. nitpick something to death, but it switches from movies. Oh, yeah. Like, like one of the best examples is, uh, you know, I'm usually the nitpicky one and I am this time, but the movie, um, the space between us, one of our toughest reviews to re-listen to. <laughs> that is one where roles were reversed and Dave Teague and Andrew were the ones that were nitpicking it to death, almost to the point where they sounded angry that we made them watch it. And you and I were like, yeah, that's pretty good. And we just somehow got over all the nitpicks and we, and we got something out of it. The thing is, but you may have also noticed in some of my reviews, even when I like a movie, I have nitpicks. It's a, it's a, it's a weighing of the good and the bad. And in this movie, I just felt like there were too many things that were not that great. Like I said, even some of the music choices kind of annoyed me. Some of the acting wasn't that great. I, I didn't uh, get the chemistry between the characters. And so even some of the stunts were weird. Some of the directing was weird. Editing, everything. is Because of all those aspects were not that great, they distracted me 
from getting into the movie where it's just one or two nitpicks. I'm over to able overlook them and, and see if there's something there. But when I'm constantly pausing, I'm like, really, that's the music they chose for that particular scene. Really that they had to slow down the camera for this particular stunt. Wait, there's, they're doing slow motion just for this guy walking. It's like, I kept pausing and going, really, that's the editing choice. That's the directing choice they did there. I, I just felt so distracted during this movie that, yeah, I, I didn't see the deep stuff that you did. And, and I'm not even totally convinced it's there, but maybe it is if you got something out of it. But I don't feel like the movie did a good enough job in the presentation for me to get that, at least not for not for my taste. So, short answer, you didn't get crap out of this movie. Okay, okay. <laughs> Well, let's knock out. Did you? Because we're we're already at the hour mark. Um, did you have any other negatives you want to go for before we oh, yeah. throw our lightning round? Go oh for yeah, it. yeah. Okay, so when we do see into the future, it's all these random images, and when you see something, you see it through either your eyes, or maybe you're seeing something through somebody else's eyes, or you're seeing something through the lens of a camera. Some of those clips that we see of these possible futures, where's that viewpoint coming from? Because some of these scenes we're seeing from like of Ben Affleck overhead. Okay. Is that somebody's viewpoint? Is that somebody's eyes or a camera? Is it some kind of security camera? And and the reason I know it's just the director's choice to just do this third person omniscient God view is because some of those little clips are of right in front of a bullet of a bullet coming directly toward the camera. What viewpoint is that? If that's a person, they're just getting shot, but it, right between the eyes by that by that bullet. If it's a camera, the camera is getting destroyed. What what exactly are we seeing when we see these clips of the future? What is the viewpoint from uh, this thing? So that drove me bananas. And again, that's a nitpick that I've seen that done in other movies and TV shows where people are seeing clips in the future. And it's one of those things I can overlook if there aren't a dozen other problems with the movie or, or TV episode. But like I said, there were so many things wrong with this movie. That was just one more thing to add to the list. <laughs> and then there was another absolutely ridiculous moment where one of the things that Ben Affleck's character does to get out of a sticky situation is he's, it, it's in that train scene that, that Preston was mentioning a while ago and he releases the cartridge from a gun and then as the gun is falling, he kicks it and he kicks it perfectly. So that this cartridge lands on the electric rail of the uh, of the train track to electrocute somebody. And I'm like, OK, seriously, he drops the cartridge at just the right moment, kicks it just perfectly. What is this guy, a soccer expert or something? He kicks it just perfectly to hit the electric rail and that and somebody just happens to be standing on the electric rail. That was absolutely ridiculous. And again, ridiculous stunts in other action movies, but it's just one more thing to add to the list. I won't go into the detail, but I've already mentioned some of the stunts were a little bit weird. Uh, well, okay. Actually, that whole uh, scene with the car chase and everything, it's like everybody's shooting at him and it's like nobody's able to hit him, but he's able to like kick up rocks with a, a motorcycle uh, wheel and all oh, that just, uh, you know, sends shrapnel through a car window. And then uh, there's another chase where they're being chased by police and uh, and Uma Thurman's character is able to throw a helmet. I was watching again today. She doesn't even throw the helmet directly at the police officer. It actually bounces off the hood, but somehow that's enough to knock him out. I just thought that was ridiculous. And then there's a scene near the end where there's this indoor weather in this experimental biology lab, and there's all this wind going around. And I'm thinking just how 
wind resistant is Ben Affleck because the the gunmen there are three gunmen that are after him and they're like flailing in the wind they're just all over the place they can't aim they can barely stand up but then Ben Affleck he has he has a bow staff in his hand and he's just whacking everybody to death and I'm like how wind resistant is Ben Affleck um let me see oh oh okay and then the most ridiculous thing I saved the the, the worst for last so buckle up. Because we're in for a wild ride. Drive me crazy. I I know it's it's yet another little tiny nitpick, but it's just like the finishing icing on the cake of this whole movie that just has all these weird stuff about it. Okay, so in the end, uh, it's it's after everything is over with, and they're reunited with Shorty, terrible nickname, and and you know they they reunite in the, uh, and Ben Affleck's character and, and Uma Thurman's character, they they have this relationship. They've bought a Home Depot apparently, uh, or at least it looks like a Home Depot is like some kind of garden center uh, because she's a biologist. So they're just uh, raising flowers and stuff, and. Uh, Shorty brings them two birds that they apparently had during their relationship. And I, again, we don't know much about the birds because we don't know much about the relationship because it's in this forgotten time period. But he brings these birds that apparently have been away for at least a few days. And I'm not an expert on bird biology, but I'm pretty sure birds crap. And when they crap, you have to change out the the newspaper, whatever it is you have lining the bottom of the birdcage. But then Ben Affleck all of a sudden has this revelation that, oh, wait a minute, there's one more thing. I still wanted a paycheck, so I left something for myself. And then he goes inside the birdcage, and he doesn't lift up a false bottom. He doesn't lift up multiple layers of stuff. He lifts up one little tiny layer of newspaper that is cut perfectly in a circle who, who again i've never owned a bird and i don't know people who, who do but i'm i'm just imagining that people have a circular bird cage and they put a piece of newspaper at the bottom to catch the bird poop that they probably just put in this the square rectangular uh newspaper and just kind of you know wrinkle up the corners or something but apparently th- these people are like either ocd or psychotic or something because they actually go to the trouble of cutting their newspaper around in a circle in a circle to fit in the bottom of the bird cage and there's no crap on, on the newspaper which means it's been changed recently but underneath that little one little layer of newspaper is a lottery ticket for something like eight million dollars or what or 80 million dollars or whatever but the thing is that ticket is not in like an envelope to hide what it is it's not inside of a of a ziploc bag to protect it from the from the bird crap or whatever it's just laying in there underneath this newspaper when's the last time that newspaper got changed somebody else could have changed that newspaper seen the lottery ticket and then it wouldn't be there but somehow it's there under just barely hidden under this one layer of circularly cut newspaper that has no bird (laughs) crap on it. And I'm just like, really? That is the big finish to this movie that already had a bunch of problems. It it just, it it drove bananas. (laughs) I I love that. Okay. Yeah. I have to say, I never noticed that you did. It didn't have poop or pee on it, but you're, you're right. Um, but see, the thing is, it would have to be because they're running this garden center. It's not like they did that the next day. So we're talking, I don't know how far in the future this is. And I, and I looked again today and it doesn't say, but I'm guessing it's at least days, if not weeks, if not months, which means somebody had these birds. They had to have been taking care of these birds. So which means they had to have changed out that newspaper or if they didn't, then the newspaper would look soiled. Right. So they had to change it out. Somebody would have found that lottery ticket already. 
So why is it not hidden well enough? And you would think if Ben Affleck is so smart that he can reverse engineer all this stuff and that he's going to leave himself clues for it later, why would he not hide it better from everybody else but something that he would know to, to, to get to? It's just, it's one of those things that to me was not well thought out. And I mentioned how I had trouble with the music, the stunts, uh, sometimes the acting, the directing, the editing, like everything else. On top of that, I feel like the prop department screwed up on this. So I, I just, I don't know. I got you. I got you. Did you save anything for the lightning round? <laughs> I think I did. But Dave, I do feel bad that we had a lot of negative stuff. Do you have any more positive stuff? Because you love this movie and I feel yeah, like we're, we're, we're well, pooping so all over I guess, it. So. I guess um, I would just ask this question. And and this is where, like I said, I, I enjoy these types of stories. There's always limitations and 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 things like that. So it's easy to say, you know, well, if I could send back a message in time, why wouldn't I just, you know, do it in the most obvious way and, and, and make it clear or whatever, but there's, there's limitations, right? They, they built in the limitations so that they would actually be a story. So I guess my, my, my thought is um, kind of as we're dealing with this time looking versus time travel, Right. Is there anything that you would, let's keep it pretty limited, you know, go back and tell yourself to, you know, you can only go back two days. Is there anything you would go back and tell yourself from two days ago that you think would be like life changing besides, you know, here's the winning lottery numbers? No. No? No. Two, two, two days wouldn't cut it. I'd have to go back 30 years. <laughs> uh, but, but, but see, that's the thing. That's not what this movie is about. If this were time travel, where you could, where you could go back and leave yourself a message, then yes, that's intri- that's intriguing. But that's not what this is. This is leaving yourself a message in the future because it's not time travel. It's just forgetting a block of time. So it doesn't it it doesn't have the same logic as as time travel, and, and that's why I feel like it's intriguing in that this is different from normal time travel. But I just, I don't feel like the movie explored it well enough to, it's like it kind of gave me this intriguing concept and then didn't follow through with it very well. Okay. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and roll ourselves <laughs> up some initiative and we'll get into the lightning round. Lift off and the clock has started. Lightning round. 11. Eight. And I am 16. Okay. All right. So, Preston, you're first. All right. Are you ready? Yep. Okay. And go. This really isn't a terrible movie. I mean, I know we we literally just picked it apart, but as Dave T used to say, this would be a perfectly fine Saturday movie. You know, if it's on, you watch it, you enjoy it, you, you don't think too much about it. You know, but when, when you have to sit down and you have to have an hour discussion about this movie, these things do stand out. Like, you know, if you just need something to fill space, it's there. Ooh. That 30 seconds is feeling quick this week. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm next. 
Ready and go. Uh, this feels like a 90s movie, but it takes place in 2003. What is up with the dove? Ben Affleck's performance when he deliver, uh, discovers what's wrong in the future is not that great. Ball bearings, really, really, they would have bounced past or something like that. That was kind of stupid. Uh, let me see. Why is there so, why aren't there so many uh, flammable materials in a biology lab? Who installed equipment? Michael Bay? Uh, he leaves himself a watch to tell himself to go to dodge a bullet. Uh, doesn't he have enough sense to dodge a bullet without a watch telling him to, to go? Uh, the editing feels weird. It feels a little cheap. Uh, several times I've noticed weird music choices. Uh, why is it Aaron's arc? Oh, never mind. I, but that last bit I was going to say, why is Aaron Eckhart's character always moving in slow motion? <laughs> okay. Uh, Dave, your turn. All righty. Ready? Not really, but we'll go for it. <laughs> and go. Um, does, it, does the science always add up? No. Does, you know, if you look at anything like this, I think you're always going to be able to poke holes, but for me i'm looking deeper and i love being able to think about all these things what would i tell myself if i had to go back and do it what would i look for the future and those are questions that i like to ask and i like answered so um that's where i'm at and i hope that that's all i have to say (laughs) (laughs) all right now we need to I feel read. I feel bad, Dave. I, I have a feeling that you were really expecting like a really deep intellectual conversation about this. I kind of was. Because that's what you got. But yeah. That's okay. I, I, that's okay. I can't help it. This movie just didn't deliver that for me. I, I can't help it. He's just being a jerk. That's right. I, I feel like th- there is a lot to say, but the, the nits are just too obvious. You know what I mean? They're, they're yeah. just too out there. Well, go ahead and start us off, Preston, with your rating. Ratings. All right, so I've debated this a lot. I've gone back and I've looked at my other ratings, and I have to keep this movie within context of those ratings. Is it as bad as Black Adam? No. But is it a one and a half star? Yeah, it's a one and a half. So just remind our listeners, um, in case we have somebody new that listens, um, Preston, yours is basically a scale kind of from like negative five to five, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, to to do the spiel again. Um, My rating system, dear listener, is based around the Wrestling Observer's match rating system that goes from five stars to minus five stars. Uh, The system was invented by Jim Cornette and Nam Dooley. And, uh, yeah, this, this is basically what I do. Very rarely do I give out five stars. Nice. Nice. Appreciate that. Todd, where do you got this one? Oddly enough, I think I do have Black Adam higher than this one. Um, Whoa. I, mm. Yeah, I, I mean, I've already gone into all the nitpicks, and that's really the biggest problem with this movie is that it doesn't have any huge problem. It's just got way too many small and medium-sized problems for the one big thing about it, the intriguing concept, to totally survive the nitpicks. So while I agree with Preston that it's not terrible, it is in the not-like-it category. So I get this a letter grade of a C. Todd misspoke. He actually gave it a C-. And it's 76th out of 86 movies that we've either reviewed or will review soon. So it's just outside my bottom 10. Whoa. Okay. Well, 
and I'm actually adjusting mine because at some point somebody may want to like average all of ours and I just can't have this be as low as, as I want it. So, um, I'm not going to lie. I was originally going to give it a nine out of 10, but based on the previous reviews, I'm going to bump it up a half point and give it nine out of five, 9.5 out of 10, just because I think there's a lot here that people can see and enjoy. The movie is nonstop fun and action and even though I've seen it and I already know what all the clues are and I know how it all plays out and I know all the reveals, I still enjoy watching this. And if I can still enjoy watching this after the 10 or 15 times that I've watched it before, it's a good movie for me. So yeah, I'm going to throw it out there. If this is one that, you know, I, I didn't have any problem hitting play on and watching again, just to, to get ready for this podcast. And there's a whole lot of movies out there that we've reviewed that I've like just dreaded the moment I had to hit play and, and, and try to keep myself awake and sometimes watch it two or three times because I've fallen asleep for, I did not do that in this. So I'm going to bump it up. It gets a 9.5 out of 10 for me. Um, <laughs> Partially out of spite, but, you know, <laughs> but I was going to give it a nine out of 10 anyways. Um, but yeah, it, it, to me, it's a great movie and, and I hope others out there enjoy it. But for our listeners, we are the discerning geeks. We each have our own minds. We each have our own likes. We look at these things differently and look for different things. And we encourage you to do the same. But we would also like to hear your opinion. What do you think about this movie? If you've seen it and you liked it, email us. If you saw all the flaws and that's all you ever saw, then, you know, hey, email us that as well. And you can do that at discerninggeeks at gmail.com. You can post your opinions when we post our reviews on our Facebook page, which is the Discerning Geeks Portal podcast, or on Twitter at discerning geeks we would love to hear your opinion and what you think about this movie or any of the movies that we review and we're always open to your suggestions you can suggest a movie that you think we should review there's a chance we'll consider it we'll see Oh, and earlier I mentioned that I might go over some of the uh, other critical rece reception for this movie. It, it got 27% from critics at Rotten Tomatoes and 45% from the audience. 43% uh, at Metacritic. It got a B- minus from CinemaScore, which might sound good, but CinemaScore kind of skews high. Uh, so b minus isn't as good as it sounds the only reason i mention this because i don't usually go into this is just to kind of defend i know i know <laughs> i really picked this movie apart i know preston kind of did too but not only do did we pick it apart and some of the people from uh from uh you know other review sites and everything but also john woo was selected to direct after brett ratner uh was in talks to direct and so brett ratner is you know, doesn't have the greatest reputation in the world. And so John Woo replaced him. Also, Matt Damon was offered the role of Michael Jennings, but he declined. Now, in mm. fairness, the reason he declined is because he felt like it was too similar to the Bourne identity. Um, but but still, it's like Ben Affleck kind of got 
sloppy seconds from, from Matt. David. Uh, <laughs> but then also, and I know we're running long, so I won't go into the whole quote, but at IMDb, there's a quote from John Woo where he kind of explains certain aspects of the movie that didn't go exactly according to plan and how even he was kind of a little bit disappointed. But he wraps up that long quote by saying, but at least it was nice working with Ben Affleck. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and then Ben Affleck also uh, he got the Golden Raspberry Award for Worst Actor for his performance in this and two other movies Geely and Daredevil for that same year and uh, after asking why he didn't get his trophy uh, that he was presented uh, he, he was presented the Razzie live on Larry King live a week later and he promptly broke it uh, and then he was able to sell off the broken trophy on eBay to I think uh cover the rental for the following year ceremony. And I don't know if that means the following year ceremony of the, of the raspberries or not, I, I guess. Uh, but then also while hosting Saturday night live, Ben Affleck joked that he would have walked out of the premiere of this movie and asked for his money back until he realized he was in the movie. So even he, so even he was not totally uh, thrilled with it. But then one other thing from IMDb, it says that he got approximately 15 million from this movie, which was his biggest paycheck to date. And whenever he is asked why he started the movie, he responds, "The answer lies in the title." There you go. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like that that says everything that needs to be said. I definitely feel like we're there. Todd, do you have our spreadsheet of possible portals available? Yes. I've actually got dice ready, but Preston, if you want to do the honors, I'm more than happy to let you. I mean, you're good. You're good. All right. And we'll put them through my Tower of Terror dice rolling thing that Andrew gave me. Here we go. It's going to be 83. Okay, Dave. It's another, it's another one of yours. Uh-oh. I know I'm worried. <laughs> <laughs> Young Frankenstein. Yes! Yeah! <laughs> this is the Finally. second time we've tried this. But yes. Because this was actually rolled before. We were going to do it. And unfortunately, it was nowhere to be found anywhere on streaming services. But it's okay. I purchased three copies of it the last time I found it for like two or three dollars at Ed McKay's. So I have copies to distribute if anybody needs one. <laughs> well, the last time I checked, it was on HBO Max, and that was about a week or two ago. Um, Wonderful. Yeah, this is a, uh, which is not HBO Max anymore. It's no, and, and in fact, I canceled it a while back, so I'm going to have to <laughs> do it again. Well, I could I can loan you a disc. I got it. Well, your your Blu-ray and, and DVD player didn't work, so. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I, I I found copies and and I was like I I love this movie. I wasn't gonna run the risk of not being able to to do it, and so oh, this is this is exciting. Would Ooh, you like I, to go for a roll in the hay? Yeah, a roll in the hay, a roll in the hay. Um, two of my favorite movies rolled kind of back to back and and we're getting to review them and yeah I, I won't lie to you Todd I was expecting this to be like a deep philosophical discussion I was like oh everybody's going to love this it's going to be a, a high rated movie and we're going to be out of here pretty quick and then it was like oh this, that is not the case but that's okay <laughs> that's why we do the recording 
there was actually a moment while I was watching that movie, I was like, I, I can't, I can't just sit here and watch this. I'm, I'm going to have to multitask. So I started folding, <laughs> folding laundry while I was watching, and maybe that's why I missed something. But the, the movie didn't garner enough attention for me to not fold laundry while I watched. Man, interesting, interesting. Listeners, you have to appreciate how much Todd loves cinema. And for him to be like, I'm going to multitask. I'm going to be one of those dudes on their phone. Man. <laughs> I, I couldn't help it. I was like, I, I can't just, I can't sit here. It, 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 it's not enough. I mean, I was still paying attention. Every once in a while, I was like, wait, I think I might have missed something. So I did rewind it. But I was like, I, I, this is this is too much a waste of time. Otherwise, I got to get something done. You've made your point. That's enough. That's enough. That's enough. <laughs> All right. Well, to our discerning listeners out there again you don't have to like everything we like we don't always like everything that we like if that makes sense what does that mean why do you keep saying stuff like that man it don't make no sense we do encourage you all to continue to like what you like and do whatever makes you a discerning geek thank you guys i enjoyed the conversation and i appreciate your input on this cinematic masterpiece mm. <laughs> stretching of the term masterpiece and have a wonderful evening thank you for listening salutation yeah thank you for listening may the force be with you always <laughs>